Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Of course, all of us right now focused on the action unfolding in Paris, and here at Cracked Rackets, we are doing our best to cover the year's third and final Grand Slam event. You can find that coverage on our Great Shot podcast feed, on our mini break podcast day in, day out, of course, on our YouTube channel, which you can find by searching and subscribing to at Cracked Rackets. But we know you Cracked Rackets fans can do two things at once. You can monitor multiple conversations happening in the tennis world at the same time. And you guys know college tennis, something that is near and dear to our hearts here at Cracked Rackets. It's something we love full year round. It is something something that has a spring season, a winter season, a fall season, whether it be the individual All-American events, the National Indoors in January and February, which we, of course, got the privilege to call firsthand this past February. Uh, But, you know, we were also getting so excited to head to NCAAs this year. I was bound for LA for my first in-person USC-UCLA experience, but we're also all wondering how this global pandemic, COVID-19, will impact athletic departments across the globe. And so I wanted to bring on someone who has much expertise in that subject, someone who much of his life has been spent in the college tennis ranks, whether it's playing college tennis, coaching college tennis. He's seen it all and he's done it at the highest levels. Of course, he's someone we've been fortunate enough to have on the podcast a couple of times before. Someone I'm fortunate enough now to consider a friend in the business, USC men's tennis head coach Brett Macy, joining me today to talk about all these issues confronting uh, college tennis, you know, not only the cuts we are seeing from programs, you know, with the uh, pedigree such as Iowa or a Minnesota, but also how that cuts are manifesting themselves across uh, the college sporting world and, you know, the things we would like to see moving forward so that college tennis, men's college tennis in particular, isn't just on the chopping block for all of these programs. Of course, we also talk about what this recruiting dead period has meant for coaches coaches and the way they are, you know, ways players out there can get in touch with these coaches and way players can, you know, still get noticed, even though it's hard for these, you know, during a recruiting dead period, a coach can't fly out to a tournament. He's not allowed to be there. And of course, that dead period also meaning if his team are playing UTR events, there are high school kids in UTR. And so coaches can't even go watch their own players play UTR events. And that's going to impact, you know, the amount of coaching they're able to do. And so it's a really interesting conversation with coach. Of course, we also ask Mace. Uh, We have some fun talking about pickleball at the beginning. I know you'll all enjoy that. We also talk about the success some of his Trojans are having right now on the Pro Tour. Obviously, Yannick Honefman standing out of late, making that final in Kitzbühel. But, you know, the kooky monster, Daniel Kukerman, off to a strong fall and others as well continuing to perform. And so it's always great to have Coach Macy on the show to talk a little bit of college tennis. He also joined me for a GSP French Open men's preview, which I'm sure all of you have listened to by now. But I, before we get to the conversation with Coach, I just want to give a huge shout out to our friends who I know will always be supporting us through Thick and thin. Of course, part A of that is our Patreon supporters. If any of you out there are interested in joining us, you know, we are so grateful for that continued support beyond any, you know, monetary contributions you guys can make. Uh, Just knowing we have a group out there who supports us through thick and thin, who are enjoying the work we are doing. That means the world to us. If you're interested in that, in some of our Cracked Rackets exclusive Patreon content, be sure to go check out our Patreon. Also, a huge shout 
shout out to our friends over at Midwest Sports and Aerobar who help us live out our motto here at Cracked Rackets. We say it all the time. You look good, you feel good, you play good. If you know anything about Coach Brett Macy, you know he's always looking good, he's always feeling good, and that's why he's in his teams. They always play good. So be sure to turn to our friends at MidwestSports.com for any of your sporting needs, whether it be rackets, uh, strings, shoes, grips, clothing. They've got it all. Their staff can help you find exactly what you're looking for. And if there's a specific brand, I promise you it's on their website. So be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders over $75. And, of course, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Of course, that'll have you looking good. How do you feel good? With our friends over at Aerobar, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. That little boost you need to track down that extra ball to slide your way to that drop shot. It is our friends at Aerobar who can help you do just that. And of course, comes with a podcast as well. Our Getting to the Point episode. So many great guests. Jay Berger, Bjorn Fratangelo, and more. We focus on the importance of nutrition, of fitness in the modern game. This past week, we had Thomas Blake, older brother of James Blake. We've had Malavia Washington, the former Wimbledon finalist, a fellow Wolverine in the past. So be sure to check that out. The way you can support our friends at Aerobar, going to their website, using our promo code CRACK15 to get 15% off your order, letting them know we sent you there as well. But with that in mind, let's talk a little college tennis. And there is no person. There are others I would say I would equally enjoy talking to, but there are no person. there's no person I enjoy talking more to about this subject than our guest today. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here's USC men's tennis head coach, Brett Macy. Joining us on the podcast today, a returning guest here on the show. You, of course, know him as the head coach of the 2020 National Indoor Winning USC Trojans. We, of course, also know him as one of the rising stars in the paddle tennis world. Coach Brett Macy, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, I wish that second part was actually true. <laughs> well, I know you've been working on your game. Matt Manassi. <laughs> you know the amount of texts i get or i guess it's really twitter dms from him because that's our mode of communication where he's like alex i'm telling you pickleball is the sport you need to start following it's the way of the future he's all in on it oh i can tell I, I, it's, i'm flooded with his his posts and his stories on instagram <laughs> it's funny though it, it's enjoyable and I have to say having played both paddle tennis and pickleball I like them both I'm better I would say well comparatively better at pickleball just because usually I'm playing with people who don't have two functional knees and so I do and that's an inherent advantage but paddle tennis is delightful I mean I have a, my former doubles partner who lives in California it really seems like it's a west coast thing it seems to be taken off yeah no I mean I haven't gotten into paddle too much. The, the sport, I, I was up in Idaho for close to a month, and I played a lot of pickleball. And I actually got to play against um, Tyson McGaw or whatever, Magoo or however you pronounce his name. Um, <laughs> McGuffin, McGuffin, Tyson McGuffin, that's mm-hmm. it. And he's like number one in the world or something. And, I mean, it was, uh, you know, you think as a tennis player, you can just go out there and do, you know, your thing in tennis and, 
it literally has no bearing whatsoever on that sport. <laughs> I mean, you can, you got to learn how to, you can't close the net. You can't spike, you know, just mm-hmm. can't do certain things. So I, I learned very quickly how uh, defense is your best offense. Yeah, I go out of my way to build the big lead, and my favorite part of pickleball is the scoring. And it's not making fun of it. I just am weird, so I think it's always funny. It's like you're saying a coordinate. You're like, all right, two, three, one, here we go. <laughs> um, and, you know, you get up there to serve, and I'll make sure we build a lead. We're up like seven, three, two, so that on that two, I can just poach like it's tennis and slam a ball. And they're like, oh, you're in the kitchen. And I'm like, yeah, but it was worth it. Um, because I, I, I agree with you. There are instincts you have as a tennis player that you just have to to fight at the same time a good pickleball game is like a really good set of doubles in that you're, you're there's just so many quick exchanges and it's really really fun yeah no the when you have four really good players that can all you know play and know the rules and they, then actually there's some benefit to it and i enjoyed it a lot um when mm-hmm. you when you're just kind of messing around and maybe not everybody's at the same you know level then it can kind of be a little you know, not boring isn't the right word, but just not, it's counterproductive for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, well, I want to get your competitive juices flowing because I know you are a competitor through and through. So I'll ask you this question get, to get things rocking and rolling. We step on a court right now, pickleball or tennis, which one do you think I have a better chance at beating you at? Um, from what I've been hearing, the, the jarring in tennis, yeah, I don't think you can stand a chance. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say neither, if we're being honest. I was hoping you were just <laughs> going to go out there and say you're not. Well, singles is different than doubles, too, in pickleball. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. how much singles you played in pickle, but, like, doubles. No, it's is, different. It's way different than doubles. Like, doubles, there's, like, a little more of a strategy. And, like I said, mm-hmm. you can have someone playing defense, someone playing offense. Singles, I think you just go full bore, at, you know, and you're ripping and you're closing the net. And there's a little bit more, you know, just kind of back and forth, like, physicality to it. So. Mm-hmm. I go two-handed backhand in pickleball oh, really? as well. Oh, have to. You go two-handed on uh, ping pong? Uh, I do as well. I, I It's like Yannick Hanifman. When it looks that good, just do it. <laughs> Yannick's <laughs> looked pretty good lately. It has. It has, absolutely. And that gets me, again, I guess that's a good segue into uh, one of the reasons I want to have you on the show today. We've had so much go on uh, in the college tennis world. We've had a bunch of USC Trojans go on to do some really cool things in the pro circuit. And then, of course, we've got the French Open looming ahead of us. It's only been two weeks since the end of the action in New York, but play started uh, slated to start in less than a week. And so I want to hear your thoughts on the men's field, on the contenders heading into this one. But let's start with Yannick, who obviously has been spectacular since tennis restarted in August. It's the final in Kitzbühel stands out, but I believe he also won a challenger at the end of August. You look at where he's at right now in the live rankings for Yannick. Uh, I think he's up to a new career high right now of 97 and back into the top 100. And I say this casually, and there's maybe six people out there who hear this statement and actually feel some sort of way about it, but I say Yannick Hoffman was the most underrated player in men's college tennis of the 2010s. You talk about that run the Trojans made to title number five in six years, that, you know, leadership trio of Hoffman, Kiros, and Sarmiento, and how well they played at the NCAA tournament. Does it surprise you at all to see him now healthy back inside the top 100? No, I mean, Chris and I talk about it a lot, um, especially since obviously his, you know, last month has gone so well. 
out of that group after you you know you have stevie in there he was i mean he was the most talented by far i mean ray sarmiento don't get me wrong was super talented and probably one of the more like best athletes out there that i've seen in a long time um but like just yannick's size the way he can move you know i think injuries were always his you know demise in a way right like that's mm-hmm. what's kind of kept him from being so successful still at the, to this point if he's healthy and he can just keep going i mean no one can hit through him he hits a huge ball he has a great serve he can actually serve and volley on clay you know he can throw different things at you has great feel and touch um although i had a player from my school in san diego uh, Roma Kalajian who beat him twice at one fall <laughs> and like we always just like couldn't believe that he beat him but then he couldn't win he didn't win too many other big matches unfortunately in his four years no no offense Roma if you're listening <laughs> um, but you know he there was some doubt I think there at, at first because you know he, he lost some of those as a freshman but you know how college tennis is it takes a while to kind of get adapted mm-hmm. and I think he showed his his worth there at the in 2014 when he led that team at one, you know, and taking out, you know, Virginia there and, and winning at the one singles. And I mean, he was, he was, he showed his, uh, he showed his worth for sure. Yeah. I would say the passing shot he hit against Damajan to flip oh. that tiebreaker is in my top three favorite shots I've seen. The Daniel Wynn diving shot, obviously, that was spectacular. That's in there as well. But yeah, I mean, for Yannick, it's case in point why college tennis works for so many is because in the modern game, you can be 26, 27, 28, and still have a three to five year stretch where you're playing your best tennis. And clearly that's happening with Yannick. And he's sort of just you're everything you want in a modern men's tennis player, right? Six four, six five ish. He's got the length. He can move really well. He's fluid for his size. The way you see the I spent a year with Stevie Johnson influence and just the way he hits that kick serve to set up the plus one forehand on the ad side and his comfort serving and volleying moving forward. It's just yeah, it's so impressive, and so to, I agree with you. To see him back in the top 100 doesn't surprise me at all. It also was pretty cool to see Emilio Gomez knock out the number one seed in qualifying, Tiago Sabathfield, in that first round. It just goes to show you how freaking talented that 2012 USC yeah. team was. Did did Emilio win today, or has he played yet? Because it's all kind of messed up on, like, Rizaltina and whatever. Yeah, it's all screwed up. I don't know. Did, did uh, Daniel play today? Did he already play? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, because I, I know he had a he had a tricky one. I think against Emilio Nava. Oh yeah, no, you mean uh, Kuki? Yeah, Kuki. Yeah, lost. sorry, Kuki. Kuki, Kuki oh, lost. He, he, oh yeah, tough he one today. Gomez did win three set win. Awesome. There we go. Look at yeah. that. Trojans continuing to succeed in the pros, and I'm sure that's awesome to see. And, you know, we Daniel, I was referring to Daniel Kukerman, who obviously number one player uh, in the country last year, the Kooky Monster, had so much success, was, you know, him stepping up, filling in that number one singles uh, role and doing it seamlessly, a big reason why your team was able to emerge with the only national championship in college tennis last year. And so for him, I, I know he's had some success now out on the futures this fall, and obviously there aren't any big fall college tennis matches for him to be playing right now but was that always the plan was he always going to go play on the fall and does it again surprise you at all to see him have success at the futures right away um yeah that was when he we started talking middle of last you know january so that that's what the plan was going to be 
Um, and then as the pandemic kind of kept going, he was like, well, I think I should come back to school. And that way he could graduate on time. And then, you know, online came again and it was like, well, I'll stay here in Israel. And, you know, as time went on, you know, tournaments have now become available. And, you know, luckily he's high enough where he's been able to get into the qualities of some of these. It's crazy, you know, players that you see that are like 400, 500 in the world and they're having to get in a qualities draw of 15Ks and stuff like that just because so many people want to play now. Um, and, you know, but like to be surprised that Daniel's having success, no, I mean, they, he's just done really well over in Israel this summer. I, he's won, I think, a few national events over there. And then, you know, just just with his drive and his ambition, you know, he he knows that this is his next step. I mean, he's obviously a little bit older, you know, coming out of Israel, Israeli army, you know, um, and, you know, he's... He's definitely one of those mature kids that, or mature men, I should say, that is just hits his time, and he knows that this is his next next step. And you know, you saw it a little bit last year. What was it in end of February when he went out there to um, and played for Israel against Turkey, and he helped clinch the you know the doubles and the singles to to win the tie over them. I mean, against some players that were top two hundred in the world. And I mean, so, I mean, for, again, you tell me that he's not, he's not ready for the pro tour. I, I'd be lying to you. He, he's geared up. Yeah, I completely agree. I, you know, not to get you in trouble, but for me, we obviously, uh, with our friends at DraftKings, the most valuable, the most valuable players right now are Daniel Kukerman and Nuno Borges because neither of them belong in the Futures Tour. They just don't. They're too good. And we got to see them up close in college tennis for, you know, three years for Daniel, four years for Nuno. I know how good they are. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when they get to make the jump to the next level. I completely agree with you. Uh, Obviously, I do want to talk about the pro tennis we are going to see, but quickly wanted to get your thoughts on some things that have happened in the college tennis world. Uh, Obviously, we all knew there were going to be some cuts. There were going to be some tough decisions that had to be made, uh, given we're in the midst of a global pandemic, how that pandemic is going to affect athletic departments across the globe uh, and across the country at the college level. And, you know, two things we learned, the programs at Minnesota, Iowa going to be cut moving forward, or the men's tennis programs, I should say, specifically. Uh, and obviously, a lot of that was, at the time, football wasn't being played. Now, the Big Ten is going to come back with football, and whether they re-examine that decision, who knows. But just curious, your thoughts. It's not just those two programs. Obviously, those are the most notable, but there have been so many programs cut across the country. Uh, curious how you felt seeing all of this. I mean, it's, it's almost obviously very sad. Um, I actually have something that's very close to me and UC Riverside athletics is looking to be cut, um, like all together and UCR, my dad was the athletic director and basketball coach there for almost 30 years. And, you know, for a program like that to see if it goes down, you know, it's, it's, it's just an eye opening and, you know, it, it hits you pretty hard. And then you see your good friends like Jeff Young and Ross Wilson. Ross was my assistant, you know, lose their jobs potentially here in a year, you know, most likely. And you're just, you feel so bad for them and you feel for those athletes, you know, and it makes you stop and think like how great, grateful you are for the job that you have and what you're doing. And, you know, that you got to hope that, 
you know, you can continue doing this for years to come and you got to have a safety net over you. I mean, luckily I'm at a school like USC, you know, we're not going to be going anywhere just given our prestige and our history, you know, of the program, but you know, you got to do the right things to, you know, no one's protected and you, you know, those schools like Minnesota and, and Iowa, they've got bigger budgets, you know, out there than most schools in the country. And that, you know, cost what $900,000 million to run, you know, a tennis program for a year, potentially maybe less. And, you're, you know, you can't find a way to save that. It's, it's, it's tough. Um, and this pandemic, you know, I can go back and forth on, you know, my political views, but I won't. And it's just, it's <laughs> tough, you know, to really see how this whole thing has affected so many people, even outside of athletics and what it's doing to our country and what it's, you know, the divide that it's creating and, it's it's a uh, it's tough to live through every day. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you, you sort of made the point here, and I don't want to get you in trouble, but you look at the cost for some of these programs, and particularly at a school like a Minnesota or an Iowa, and for some of these coaches, that's a signing bonus for a football coach or a basketball coach, or it's, hey, let's not redo the weight room this year. Let's just use those same weights one more year, and you know what? It's okay. We can do that because that means we get to give 14 different kids opportunities in an F, uh, in a role that they wouldn't otherwise, and it's just, I guess, again, this is me personally, my tolerance for any sort of raises in uh, football or basketball coaching and my tolerance for any sort of renovation. And I know football and basketball drive uh, the revenue that funds everything else, but it's just like, come on, what are we doing here? Like, they're, they're, it, The cost of these programs is not significant enough to where it's like, okay, we need to make quick cuts. Let's just cut these things. That makes the most sense. There are more, there are more efficient cuts that can be made that don't also reduce the opportunities for all of these incredible athletes who have been working their whole life for this moment. And, you know, you look at a program again, like Iowa, and I know Ross used to be your assistant. We've had him here on the show. It's just like, that was a top 20 program. Or you look at what Minnesota has done historically, arguably, you know, outside of maybe Illinois, Michigan, and Ohio State, the fourth most notable, and maybe for even more uh, success historically than a school like Illinois. And it's just... I mean, made round of 16 it's just like, what two are we... years ago. Yeah, it's just like, what are we doing here? Yeah, no, you, you're you're right on. I mean, it's there's definitely other ways before you cut people's. Again, you're talking about jobs. You're talking about opportunities for kids to go to a college, a university, taking those things away from them. Let's look at all again. And I'm not saying that athletic directors, athletic directors don't do this, or presidents, or whatever. But you got to think that we got to look exhaust all opportunities or all options before you'd go to the last resort for sure. Mm-hmm. And it just comes down to transparency. You want to make these cut fine, but don't tell me a letter. Tell me what was on the chopping block. You're a publicly yeah. funded institution. I deserve to know how this decision was made. Um, but anyways, yes, that, that's that been on my uh, gears. It's been grinding. And then obviously another thing that I just, I'm so fascinated what the impact is going to look like. And we've talked about this before. Uh, we're still in the midst of a recruiting dead period for so many programs across the board. And there aren't exactly tournaments to go and see, but coach is not exactly able to get in contact with you know prospective recruits I'm sure it's difficult for you to communicate even with your own team curious how you guys are handling all of that how have you adjusted to you know or tried to adjust I suppose to what recruiting is going to look like moving forward um you got definitely got to be creative 
Um, you know, with our own team specifically, we meet with our guys once a week in a Zoom. Um, you know, it's more informative, like of updates and, you know, sometimes just to get us together, you know, and, you know, get cohesive and bond for an hour. Like last week, we had the men's and women's teams on together at the same time. And we just did like a Kahoot and like got fun facts from each player that, you know, maybe no one really knew and just did like a trivia for an hour. And, you know, it was enjoyable just to have the teams together and, you know, just to laugh for 45 minutes. Um, you know, the teams are luckily, you know, able to go out and they're performing and playing tournaments, especially out here in Southern California. We just have so much, you know, accessibility to courts and, you know, good weather. And, you know, um, you know, depending on the county that you're in, you know, you have a little bit more freedom. Um, and our, our guys are doing, you know, a great job of keeping tabs on themselves. You know, we've got the USTA training center right up the road for a lot of the guys. You have, again, just good academies or, you know, good coaches or players that hit with throughout Southern California. So these guys are all, as long as they're doing their job, which ours are, they're, you know, they're getting good practice in. And, you know, so that's where we're a little fortunate compared to, let's say, if you did live in Iowa or, you know, some of these more remote places where you don't have some of those, the, you know, the, I guess, variety around you, you know, it's a little bit more difficult and you do need to have that practice time. And we just haven't, you know, at SC, we're, it is what it is right now. And our guys have been adapting well. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it sucks for someone like Chris and myself and obviously not being able, it sucks for the players, not being able to, to us to be able to work with them and develop them, but they're, like I said, they're getting they're getting the most out of it right now, and I think and hope that come you know December January we're rocking and rolling and practicing and getting ready for the season, um, you know. So it's mm-hmm. it's definitely uh, it's definitely a difficult, but we we've made made things work with them with regards to recruiting. I mean, again, creativity is everything. You know, Chris and I do a lot of zooming. Um, with, with these kids in the, you know, the classes that are coming up and, you know, you, you ask them to send you a video of a match that they've played or, you know, a set that they're in practice. Um, and that way you can just evaluate it that way and use that as, you know, your, as your time. And then, you know, we're, we're having to rely on our video department to create tours of campus and things like that so that we can get in front of a kid you know, and show them Los Angeles and show them USC and show them just the, you know, the program in general, the history. And, you know, that's what we've done a lot of over the last couple of months, to be honest. And that's, and just building relationships with all these recruits to see if these are the types of kids that, you know, we want to have and they want to come to SC. And then hopefully come January 1, we can go out and start watching them and, and get the full evaluation of them. No, absolutely. Um, two follow-ups of that I have to ask. A, what is your fun fact for the team? What is the trivia question they're going with about Brett Macy? Oh, mine? I was I was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when I was a kid. I But, like, it wasn't a good one. It's not like like I'm like the Wheaties box type of thing, Alex. Like, it's not like <laughs> it was literally I'm 12 years old or 11 years old, and I'm sitting – on the in the bleachers at the national championship division two national championship basketball game and i'm sitting there holding my basketball basically watching the team that was that beat my dad's team in the semifinals get demolished by 40 
and they took a, a headshot of this guy on the bench, this poor guy. He's bawling his eyes out because he just he, they just got absolutely crushed. And I'm sitting behind them on the bleachers. Mm-hmm. And did, did, were you smiling? No, were you laughing? I, was, I don't. I can't remember. My mom has the photo somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, no, if you could get a copy of that photo, we'll tweet it out with the link because, again, that's incredible. I would say, what would be my fun fact? An equivalent of that, my one of my dad's college roommates works for the Brewers, and so we used to go visit and watch the games, and I got to run. They had like a day where it was the mini mascot goes and slaps the hand of the big mascot before they do like, oh, yeah. the race around the track or whatever, and I, and I got to be the American hot dog who ran ah. in that race. And I, I'm pretty sure those were my slower and chubbier days. Not that I'm not still in my slower days. I'm just no longer in my chubbier days. Um, but I'm pretty sure I came in third of four, and I remember getting up there, and I was like, Dad, please tell me you didn't tell Eric what I was, Eric being my older brother. And he was like you came in third he was like that was awful (laughs) and i was just like i know i know um but it was very very fun uh that would be my equivalent of the fun fact my my second follow-up to that you talk about watching these players on film i mean as someone who is glued to their laptop watching tennis at all times i gotta ask i know you have immense respect for all of your players they all do so many things so well yada 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 i don't need the bs answer i am looking for this question what maybe one player one shot one characteristic has jumped out to you in watching your team on film that you were like, oh man, I didn't know he could do that. Like if I got to watch Stefan Dostinich practice every day, I'm sure every time I'd be like, oh my God, like you can do that too. Um, hmm. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of good. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the biggest thing is when you watch back on film, I think you noticed it probably in the, um, in the U.S. Open this year, how hard these guys hit the ball now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 really like just incredible. It was funny. Like I texted Peter during the Stevie Isner match. I just go, "Is it me or is it, are they just annihilating the ball?" And he said, "It looks <laughs> ten times harder in person than what you're seeing on TV." And I mean, it's just it's incredible how much how how much power these guys can generate now. And you know, that's something that. Obviously, we need guys that can learn how to step up, like you said, and do that serve plus one and crack that forehand. But you got to obviously be able to make it. Um, you know, so I, I guess it's just trying to, with these guys, just honing that in and just watching their athleticism, watching like the speed of like a Daniel Cookerman or like I said, the power of Riley Smith, how much that ball jumps when he hits a serve, the, the time like a Brandon Holt could take away from guys on the baseline, you know, little stuff like that. Just you know, the coverage of, you know, of the court, these guys can go from point A to point B, like, you know, sliding into a ball. You know, that stuff, the athleticism is incredible now. Absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Well, you know, if you ever need a third eye, I know Chris is the second eye, but if you ever need a third, <laughs> you know where to find me. Uh, because that, that just sounds like a delightful day. Oh, 
Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with USC men's tennis head coach Brett Macy. Of course, a huge thank you to Mace. Uh, We hope he and his team stay safe, stay healthy, and of course, we wish them luck and hope we get to see them compete in what should be a really fun 2021 college tennis season, assuming we get the opportunity to see it unfold. And that's obviously a big assumption, but we're a glass half full type of team here at Cracked Rackets. We are going to stay glass half full looking towards that 2021 college tennis season. Season. Of course, right now, we're all focused on the French Open, the third and final Grand Slam of this year unfolding in front of our eyes. Rest assured, we, of course, will be covering that day in, day out here at Crack Rackets, whether it be the daily breakdown of the results, the preview of the next day's matches on our mini break podcast, our picks for each day's winners, and how you can take advantage of all of our tennis fandom, our tennis knowledge, with our friends over at DraftKings each day on our GSP Ace of the Day. Of course, videos on our YouTube channel as well. Fun things we want to do uh, to, of course, keep you engaged and keep you all having fun as we look towards this year's third, again, and final Grand Slam, our favorite players all competing for the chance to be a major champion. You can follow that again. Find all of our content on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We're at Cracked Rackets. Of course, I will continue to ask, please like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Mini Break, and Inside Out Podcast. We are so grateful for all of you who continue to listen. Uh, we really, I you know, I don't say this facetiously. I say this as a way of saying thank you. Uh, we continue to hit record highs in terms of downloads here, and that is a testament to all of you who continue to listen. We are so grateful for that. We also love hearing your feedback, so please feel free to reach out with uh, uh, to us through whichever means uh, you deem most appropriate. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out, making all this content possible, helping us keep you the most informed, the best educated fans in the business. Of course, shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar for keeping you all looking good, feeling good, and playing good, living that Cracked Rackets lifestyle. Go to MidwestSports.com, use the promo code CR15, go to Aerobar.com, use that promo code Cracked15. But with that in mind, for my wonderful guests, Coach Brett Macy, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends, at Midwest Sports and Aero Bar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Garuskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you all next time. Thanks, everyone.